We're back with the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. You know, the latest COVID case counts are down from yesterday due to the slow holiday weekend. But healthcare officials are warning we can't let our guard down. This morning, we talked to Lieutenant Governor Josh Green about the latest numbers. Today, we have 824 cases, and we have 112 people in the hospital, of whom 53 are vaccinated, which is to say they've had two shots. 20 people are in the intensive care unit, and our positivity rate's at 12.2%. So we are still surging definitely with COVID and the Omicron surge. What we're seeing right now is that our hospital numbers have risen, they've tripled over the last two weeks. And that stands to reason because there are a lot more cases. But with this number of cases, we would have otherwise expected a far higher number in the hospital. And our current hospitalization rate is about 0.7% of those cases we confirm. So 112 people in the hospital, and we have 14,514 active cases. So that tells us that Omicron is very contagious, spreading like wildfire, but less severe. And people who are vaccinated and boosted are not getting so sick that they end up in the intensive care unit. That's kind of how we're looking at it now. And I expect that the cases will likely surge as far as the raw count through mid-January, somewhere between around the 10th to the 15th of January. Our case counts will be very high. And then our hospital counts should peak based on what's going on currently, around January 20th, and then that will come down. The question remains how many total cases will be in the hospital and whether we can handle it, and that's why we're going to bring in some extra help. You know, the uh, HIPAM group did release the latest modeling. They were talking about maybe, you know, 4,000 new cases a day by the end of the week. How are you looking at those numbers? I'm looking at them with a sober assessment of what they mean, which is to say people are catching Omicron irrespective of their vaccination status, but they're only getting severely ill if they are older, say over 60, and they are not completely protected, which is to say they have not had a booster. Those are the people that are ending up very sick and ending up in the intensive care unit or potentially needing ventilation support. Now, every case is serious that goes to the hospital, without a doubt. And so there are 112 souls right now that I'm very worried about because they're in the hospital, but only 20 people are severely ill. And that is a very small percentage of 14,514 active cases. So there has to be balance. I would like to see more restrictions, definitely. That's, that's where I am as a healthcare provider. But as lieutenant governor, I'm also cognizant that shutting down the state, if we can manage our cases, is not something that most people or the mayors or governor seem to be decidedly willing to do. So it's a lot of balance. And that means that people can make the right decision for themselves. Just so you know, we have 500,000 people that are still eligible for a booster right now. 345,000 people have gotten their booster, but there's another 500,000 that could get a booster and protect themselves from needing to be hospitalized. There are clinics that are being set up over the next couple of days because of the holiday. They aren't going to be open. Well, yes, most of them will be, though. And as you know, it was my team that called for the additional clinics to be set up. So we did that, and that's the right thing to do. Also, Queens is expanding very significantly. They're going to essentially 12 hours here at Blaisdell and 12 hours over at their West site. Everyone's expanding their capacity to do boosters. To expand testing capacity is a little bit more difficult because there's a finite number of tests, but there is more than enough vaccination to give boosters. And so there's nothing to prevent people from doing it today, here on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. I mean, really, everybody should be going to get their boosters. I actually asked the governor to declare the 23rd and 24th and the 30th and the 31st emergency days to get the whole state boosted and to essentially do what we did in Samoa, which was try to vaccinate, in this case, our whole state. We did a whole country in that case. But that's the thing to do. And people have to be willing to do it. It is a little bit concerning that people were so willing to get their two shots, but they're less willing to get a booster right now. And I think that will change now that we've seen the virus spread with this new variant. You know, you've hinted that there may be changes to come with the Safe Travels program. Yes. Yeah, the Safe Travels program may need to evolve again. It's been one of the tools that's kept us among the safest in the country. You know, we still have the lowest rate of COVID in the country and the second lowest mortality rate by a large margin. So that has worked for us in spite of the fact that we're a super tourist destination. But We may have to change a little bit because you will see some cases come through. 
that's obviously the case. Now, the cases from travelers are not the predominant cases, in spite of what other people might like to share, because they like to distinguish us versus them, and that's not a healthy distinction. We see very few cases that end up in the state of Hawaii that require care if they've traveled here. Almost no one has required hospitalization from their travels. And the spread that we do see is, of course, community spread, because we are with each other, you know, five times as much. We're spending all that time with our families and our coworkers. That's how COVID spreads. However, there may be the need to go to the next step of safe travels, which is to have people be boosted or tested, which is to say the full criteria to get past having to go into quarantine would be to have your vaccination plus a booster, so boosted or fully tested within you know 72 hours of travel. That will also help us, but by the time that gets implemented, we're going to be past the peak of this particular surge. It's just a matter of really describing what it means to be vaccinated. You know, we were hearing last week from VASH that they were starting to see uh, international travelers who were getting tested before, you know, returning on a plane to go back home to their countries, that they were testing positive and that they were putting up in certain hotels. But, you know, we understand that AG's office is supposedly tracking those cases. But, you know, what's your concern there? Well, my concern is that people are going to get stranded, although that will be less of a concern when the, you know, when the state of Hawaii adopts the CDC recommendations, which may very well come as soon as today or tomorrow. I would expect that the criteria for being released from quarantine is going to decrease to five days. Now, will some cases still be a problem and people be infectious? Sure. But the lion's share of people are no longer infectious three days after they've kind of, well, it's five days total, but three days after they've had their positive test. Usually people are symptomatic after a couple days of having the virus, and then they're no longer really infectious about three days after they get their positive test. So that will help because then people will be able to travel again they're going to need to wear masks for those subsequent five days, and that will be good, and they should wear good masks, honestly, like N95 masks or even better. But the truth is that the whole world is going to be dealing with COVID for some time to come. The newest iteration, which is the super infectious version, but hopefully it's also the less serious version. Should we be doing more testing at the airport as people get off the planes? We can, but it's impossible what other people are proposing. And it is frustrating to see repeat proposals of what people know, first of all, to be unconstitutional. You can't force people to have a medical procedure or a test. You can force them to go into quarantine. You cannot force people into a mandated test. You're not allowed to do that. And second, the proposals that often come, and this is a contentious point, which is to test everybody when they come off of a plane, we would have to have 35,000 tests available to us every day. We only have 10 to 12,000 at our peak available. So are those fellows who are proposing this, suggesting we not have any resources to test our own people when they get sick? Is that what they're suggesting? Because I'm actually a healthcare provider taking care of patients, and I need those tests to take care of people who are sick. So that argument is not a serious one. That argument is a, a philosophical one, and I'm a serious person trying to handle a crisis. So I would prefer if people gave proposals that actually could be implemented, but the key is to do the right thing, to get a booster so you don't get severely ill. Do not go to large gatherings where there can be a lot of spread. That would be a good recommendation which should be implemented. And finally, to continue to wear masks and socially distance. Those are the right things to do. But things beyond that, like shutting the state of Hawaii off from the rest of the world or doing tests that we can't possibly have, those are intellectual exercises that are not going to actually help anybody. That was part of a conversation we had with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green talking with us this morning about the latest Omicron surge. You're listening to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. You know, the latest modeling by the Hawaii Pandemic Applied Modeling Work Group has Hawaii hitting 4,000 cases a day by New Year's. It also gives an updated county-by-county county track. We have Mayor Derek Kawakami on the line from Kauai, where the case counts are ticking up. Good morning, Mayor. Hey, good morning, everybody. So, Mayor, what's the snapshot on Kauai this morning with the case count? 
we just got our COP. This is what we call our daily report. And, um, you know, it's gone down a little, but we can just maybe assume that it's down because of a lag over the weekend and holiday. So, you know, we're we're not different than anywhere else. We're going to continue to see an uptick in cases, and it'll keep on going up because this is just the holiday season. People are getting together with family and friends as expected, and um, it's rather predictable during the winter months. You have a lot of colder states where people go indoors. It's hard to be outdoors. Um, People intermingle with family and friends, and uh, they travel. So this is what you're going to see. Fortunately, what it appears to be based on some of the health guidance is that Omicron is much more um, contagious, but it doesn't appear to be um, as severe or more severe than what we saw during Delta. So th- there, are, there are silver linings, right, if you look at it. Well, the, uh, the modeling, the latest modeling, I think, was you know, forecasting that Kauai could see, what, 150 to 200 cases uh, on, by Friday. Yeah, and the organization and the individuals that put together that modeling, if you take a look at the who's who, they're all they're all legit, right? So, um, in a sense, I'm glad that the High Pam Group came together to give us at least some good forecasting of what we can expect. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll see, though, because at the end of the day, it is a forecast. Right. I mean, it it is kind of a weird slow motion kind of a thing, you know, where. Uh, you you don't want to wa- run around like Chicken Little. You know the sky's falling, the sky's falling. But at the same time, you know the risks are unknown. Uh, we would like them to be low, but we're just not sure, and we're not sure of how people are going to behave during this holiday season, and you know if we might be paying the price uh, come January. Yeah, I'm. You know, as I go out into the community as much as I possibly can and talk to people. You know, when when there's a chance in the grocery store, even when I'm surfing and I ask people what is it that they feel, it it appears that a large portion of our population gets it, right? It seems to be that they have sort of gotten acclimated to life with COVID-19. Many of them have done all the right things by um, giving them a better chance, which is they got vaccinated and boosted, um, they go and get tested when they feel that they should get get, get tested. Um, but like, as you can see, you could do everything correct and still get the virus. Um, but they are recovering uh, rather well for the most part. So I think um, as time goes along, we're going to continue to learn more about this virus. But you're absolutely right from a leadership standpoint. You have to have a steady ship, especially when the the seas are stormy and uh that's what we've been doing here on Kauai is just um let's keep keep it even keeled uh continue to give our people guidance and impress upon them that they can be as safe as they want to but from a community standpoint we still have to all do our part because right now you know we're in constant communication with our hospitals to see what their status is fortunately their status right now as we speak seems to be stable, but like we've seen happen in other places, those things can change rather quickly. So people just got to do the right thing. You know, I have to applaud you. I I saw your update yesterday, you know, uh, and you had, uh, you know, key points uh, that you covered with Dr. B, (laughs) Dr. Berman, you know, and and it's like I said, I think you've you've, uh, been able to strike, you know, um, uh, a nice tone to get the best information out to people, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, a lot of folks were looking to see what you were doing early on in the pandemic because you came out, uh, you shut things down. Uh, we were being very cautious because we didn't know a lot about the very, the, the uh, coronavirus at the time. And, you know, things have morphed. We, we had to deal with Delta and the higher fatal counts. And now Omicron, you know, hopefully enough people will heed the warning and go out and get those boosters if they haven't already. 
yeah, we, we hope people get out there and um, get boosted up. You know, I think um, myself included, nobody's to be blamed, but, um, you know, even the vaccine is something that we're getting more and more data on. And I had assumed that my um, two shots of Moderna was going to last me for at least a year. That's what I thought, right, in my head. I'm not sure if anybody actually told me that. I just, I think maybe I've tied it to like the flu shot, how I need it only once a year. But when they said that, hey, you know, six months in, you can go get boosted. I said, well, sign me up. I'm going to go get leveled up and get boosted so I can continue to do the things that I love, which is get out there being with people when I can in a safe way, going out and surfing, um, but just staying healthy. It's just good not to be ill. And what is the snapshot for uh, the visitor industry? Uh, how are your hotels doing and, and, and the flights coming in and out? Yeah, you know, we've had, uh, thank goodness, a good, strong economic recovery, which for some people is a double-edged sword because with that economic recovery is an increase of people on the island um, that is limited by the type of infrastructure system that we that we have. And so we've seen also an increase in traffic. But for the overall economy, which I say the visitor industry touches upon a majority of our economy, whether people know it or not, um, they've had a strong um, return. And we just hope to be able to keep things stable and uh, make sure that our small businesses can continue to recover. Because being from a grocery store um, myself, you know, after Hurricane Iniki, it, it takes not a year or two years. Sometimes it'll take decades to be able to fully recover. And um, in this case with COVID-19, um, we can assume that it's going to take a, a bit of time for these um, for these businesses to recover fully. And you know, do you uh, are you hearing anything from uh, your your uh, hoteliers? Uh, you know, here on Oahu, we've had a, a half a dozen cases of international travelers testing positive before they jump on the plane. Uh, you know, and they're being housed at certain uh, hotels here on Oahu, but. Uh, what's the situation there on Kauai? You hearing anything about that? Nah, I haven't heard about um, any such thing, and I'm not sure if I would get that information if it did happen. You know, the Department of Health is—they um, hold uh, certain key points of information highly confidential that not even myself as mayor has access to. And quite frankly, I'm not sure I would want access to some some of those highly sensitive types of information, but. The reports we get back from our hotel operators is that everything is, is working out, um, and they know that we are always here for them if they need assistance or if they need us um, to help uh, help them help themselves find some resources at times. So, you know, we're all in this together. Uh, quite frankly, um, I'm not even interested in the positive cases on whether it's a resident or a visitor. As soon as they touch our soil, they're ours, right? They're part of our community. I, I don't care where people come from. If they're just visiting, once they're here, you know, they're, they're part of us. And um, that's all that matters. It's it's a human life. We want people to be safe. And, Mayor, as we close uh, 2021, what are your hopes for the new year? Well, I have so much to be thankful for as it is, Catherine. But for 2022, I want to hope for the very best for all of our families here. Um, that the visitors that come here, um, you know, can feel the aloha um, that Koi is, is all about and our people are all about. And, um, you know, for my own family, I wish them, you know, health and prosperity. All right, Mayor. Well, you take care, and we'll see you uh, in the new year. Thank you very much. You folks have a great day. All right. Aloha. Aloha. And that was Kauai Mayor Derek Kawakami talking to us this morning about the COVID situation on the Garden Isle.
Support for HPR comes from Honolulu Waldorf School, celebrating their 60th anniversary, offering early childhood programs, including parent-child, preschool, and classes for kindergarten through grade 8. Learn more at honoluluwaldorf.org. Honolulu Civil Beats Reality Check today looks at our tourism numbers. Reporter Stuart Yurton joins us today. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, Catherine. Hey, so, you know, lots of uh, fretting over Omicron, uh, but what were, we, what were you able to find out as you were talking to our tourism execs? Well, the overarching story here is that the chaos that we've seen on the mainland when it comes to travel, flights, and everything else has not hit us yet. Um, numbers uh, remain strong. Uh, the tourism industry and uh, airline industry is running along as as expected. And um, hotel executives have to take a wait-and-see approach, though, and, and that's really where they are right now. Yeah, I mean, we really didn't see, you know, just <laughs> scores of canceled flights. I mean, we haven't heard about that. There, there may have been a handful, you know, maybe a dozen or so, but... Um, really not the the terrible time that, as you mentioned, folks are having. Yeah, that's right. So just in terms of uh, pure numbers of arrivals, uh, we're in the 30,000 per day range, which is pretty much the average in 2019 during the peak of tourism. We were averaging 30,000 visitors a day. Of course, during a time like this, normally it would be a lot higher. This is a peak travel time. So we're not at the 2019 levels at all, but it's pretty good. We're, I think, around 80% of what things were like in 2019 in terms of visitor arrivals. So that's a lot of people coming here. Again, 30,000 per day. The vast majority are visitors. They're coming. They're staying in hotels. Um, so all of that is doing uh, very well. And the hotel executives were saying that you know they expect uh, or we're expecting t- the first two quarters of 2022 to be roughly the same as 2018. Again, not the peak that we saw in 2019, but a very solid uh, year. A uh, very solid first half of 2022. What Omicron does to that, they just don't know, and they're watching it very closely. Right. We don't know how this is going to affect the international travel uh, markets that everybody just kind of assume would be picking up in the first quarter, but we don't know. Right. Well, that's still dead. I mean, there's <clears throat> roughly, you know, from Japan, as we know, it's almost nothing. If If you look at the statistics and look at the line uh, graphs charting that sort of thing it's just it's it's nothing it's relatively um, really insignificant in the grand scheme of things so yeah the international travel remains a, a a problem and a very very soft spot and a point of concern for the tourism industry and then uh, what did the uh, uh, I guess the small businesses or the tourists uh, say when you talk to them yeah, well, they're they're happy. I mean, the tourists love it here. Um, people I talked to who had flown in, you know, people from the West Coast, one of our prime markets, they they love it. The weather's a little cooler than they had hoped, but you know that that's uh, it's a sunny day yesterday. People were out and about. Waikiki looked pretty pretty strong. Um, it wasn't overly crowded, but but pretty lively for a for a Monday afternoon, and um, the the folks down at the beach, the Beach Boys said. They were doing well. Things had really picked up during the holiday week, and uh, everything was good. Yeah, I mean, I spent some time down in Waikiki because I had uh, visitors in town, uh, and I had a hard time getting restaurant reservations, (laughs) you know, because you've got all those military families that are also down there because of the water crisis at Red Hill. Right, and that's created a bit of a boost for the hotels as well. So, So it seems to be a pretty good holiday season, as they call it in the hotel industry, the festive season uh, for the industry. And as you pointed out, we've avoided a lot of flight cancellations. Um, I had checked uh, midday yesterday, and it seemed like we had maybe half a dozen. It sounded like you checked later in the day, Catherine, and saw maybe a dozen canceled flights. I just checked now, um, and it looked like there were four um, in Honolulu that had been canceled as as of now. So, Nothing like the the thousands we see in the mainland, or I think there were over a hundred at LAX yesterday. Yeah, well, and, and we're not just talking the uh, 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 
COVID implications with staff shortages, but you know, weather as well, right? I mean, it's snowing in a lot of places. Yeah, for sure. Now, weather's weather's been a problem, but again, it does seem like the Omicron uh, variant has has sidelined a lot of workers and made it hard to staff flights. All right. Well, we'll just have to see what the new year brings, but you stay safe, Stuart Yurton. <laughs> <laughs> you too, Catherine. Thanks so much. Okay. That was business reporter Stuart Yurton with today's reality check. Read his story online at civilbeat.org. Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art with a selection of gifts, publications, and handcrafted goods at the HOMA shop. Proceeds benefit museum programs and exhibitions. Also online at shop.honolulumuseum.org. No matter what 2021 threw at us, HPR was here for you, bringing the news you needed to know when you needed to know it. It's a commitment every one of our journalists keeps day in and day out, especially now when staying connected is so important. This work is only possible with your support. So as we wrap up the year, we ask you to help keep this work going into 2022. If you can, give to this community-supported station today. And thanks. Support for HPR comes from UH Manoa's Osher Lifelong Learning Institute for ages 50 and older with online and in-person courses in history, sciences, and technology. Classes begin Tuesday, January 18th. More by searching Osher Hawaii. talked with Dr. Jonathan Dworkin at the start of the pandemic, an infectious disease doctor at Queens. He and a group of healthcare providers pushed back against the position taken by the state on two key strategies, testing and contact tracing. He's now on the Big Island at Queens North Hawaii Community Hospital, and he wrote a book just released by Watermark Publishing. It is entitled Plague Doctors, How Hawaii Battled the Pandemic. When I finished final draft before before submission to the publisher, you know, we were just beginning the vaccine rollout and, you know, we're seeing some of the first signs of benefit from the vaccine rollout with cases dropping all around the world. So the question at that time was, was you know, how many variants will there be and how bad they will be and, and what the timing of that was. And then, you know, over the summer while we were in the publication process, we got hit with Delta and I had to write an afterword, you know, in the book to bring it up to date so that when it, when it hit print, it would take into account the Delta wave. That's kind of where, where it was. But yeah, it, it really describes the first year, year and a half of the pandemic, and in particular, the response from Hawaii, you know, to the pandemic. And, and my own experiences, you know, it's, it's a memoir. So what it was like to be a doctor going into the hospital when we didn't have testing, when we didn't have PPE, those types of experiences. And I recall there was an instance that you wrote about in your book where you wanted someone to get tested and uh, you were told no. Yeah, that's right. And early on, one of the most challenging moments for me was when we couldn't get testing because of the geographic restrictions on testing. And it was becoming clear in real time that those geographic restrictions on testing no longer made sense, but they were still in place. And it was difficult to get people tested. So that created a lot of anxiety in the hospital when we were rounding. You know, we knew that transmission within healthcare was possible. We knew that doctors and nurses in other settings and other jurisdictions were, were falling ill. So to be, you know, entering into this sort of boxing match with a new pathogen and not to be able to see it, you know, with the blindfold on was, uh, was for me, one of the more unpleasant experiences. Since you wrote the book, we now have this Omicron variant, which is taking off like a rocket. And we're not real sure what this means for our hospitalizations. Um, I think as, as we speak, it's somewhere around 100 now. And a couple of weeks ago, it was, you know, 30 or something like that. What's your sense? I mean, so you're gonna have to write another book? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I think the lessons from the book still apply, you know. Uh, and, and I hear some of our 
local politicians repeating this mantra that we're not going to restrict or, or regulate our way out of this. But that's simply not true. You know, modifying our behavior is exactly how epidemic waves are broken. Uh, that's in chapter one of the book. And the idea that we just keep going until the hospitals fill up and then we go a little longer, you know, we keep packing people into bars and clubs while the ICU overflows. There's no infectious disease person or epidemiology person who thinks that this is smart or responsible. And there's no DOH advice that it's smart or responsible. So I, I think they're just ignoring the advice that they're getting. So what are you looking for 2022 as we peer down you know, in the crystal, crystal ball? Yeah, well, I, I think that, you know, unfortunately, because we weren't able to get the world vaccinated early on in, in a fast way, we're going to continue to see the emergence of these variants. Um, I do think we're going to continue to see a very good correlation between vaccination status and uh, lower mortality. I don't think Omicron is going to change that. Delta did not change that. Um, so it's, it's correct that, that being well vaccinated is going to be a, a kind of shield that protects us. Um, but I think to succeed, we've got to continue to take public health seriously. You know, we can't be having um, absolutely uncontrolled transmission and expect anything good to come of that. We still have to be able to do public health. We have to be able to test people. We have to be able to do isolation and quarantine. You know, we have to be able to do contact tracing. Um, we are going to have more effective uh, oral antiviral therapy, you know, and I'm particularly excited about this medicine Paclovid. But I can tell you, one of the things that was very frustrating about Omicron was that it happened so fast and um, we don't have Paclovid available yet. You know, I'm, I'm scrambling each day uh, with our pharmacy and our hospital administration. We're trying to get the medications that are likely to work on Omicron in order to keep people out of the hospital, and they're not available. So, you know, this this was a very good reason to do public health and to delay the onset of this wave, because I think in a, in a few weeks or in a month, we're going to be in a better situation. But if you get sick now, uh, there's not a lot of therapies that we have that are available that can help a patient. Well, uh, for our listeners, talk about that uh, therapy, Paclovid. Yeah, so, so um, um, Paclovid is a, 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 what we call a protease inhibitor. And people familiar with the, the HIV world uh, know about protease inhibitors. Um, so it's it's a medicine that that you know makes it difficult for the virus um, to to correctly process you know the products of uh, of, of its of its proteins. And um, um, you know it, it in its clinical efficacy was very good in in the trial, and it just got emergency use authorization. But it's in very short supply, so it's not it's not readily available. Um, the other big therapy that we had available during the Delta wave was uh, these monoclonal antibodies. And we scrambled around the island to set up clinics to, to get high-risk patients in for infusions. And one of the medicines that we used was called Regeneron. We have a Regeneron clinic that we established in North Hawaii here on the Big Island, and we were using it to help with the rural healthcare situation there. Um, that medicine doesn't work anymore, and there's actually one monoclonal antibody that we can use but as you can imagine, the whole world wants to get it. So the supply is extremely limited right now. Um, so in a way, we've regressed in terms of the therapies that we're able to offer patients who come in very sick. I think the situation will be better uh, in, in a few weeks or in a couple of months because we do have these new therapies on the horizon. But the wave hit us so fast. We did such a poor job of controlling transmission that a lot of people are going to get sick and not have access to treatment. So do we have any of this uh, treatment on island? We have extremely limited supplies of citrovimab, which is the monoclonal antibody that, that uh, is effective against Omicron. And uh, we are told that uh, we will be getting tackled, but as of right now, I do not have access to, to that drug. So as we sit here and watch the COVID counts go up, uh, I guess, you know, what's what else do you see as the, the takeaway from your book as you have had this opportunity to reflect on on our response or our lack of a response, uh, you know, early on. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the key insights in the book is that, um, epidemics are the result of, of human behavior and in particular human behavior and how it interacts with the environment. And, and that the human response to epidemics is also part of the solution. So in the book, one of the, one of the big themes is how the, the maladaptive human response in the United States, you know, how we politicized it, how we made it into a set of cultural grievances, 
all of the um, the kind of crazy and unhelpful reactions we've had made the pandemic much worse than it had to be in this country. And I think we're continuing to see that now with the emergence of, of variants. You know, there are there are some you know basic institutional things that we needed to do that we needed to get in place, uh, and we still haven't gotten them in place in terms of our public health infrastructure, um, in terms of uh, you know controlling transmission. Um, I'll, I'll give one example. We had a tier system in Honolulu that was very painfully arrived at uh, through the course of 2020 and early 2021 uh, in terms of controlling transmission. I think it was largely effective, and it was abandoned when the vaccines were rolled out. Well, it would be really useful now to have a way of reducing transmission in Honolulu, but we don't have that. You know, So um, we, we keep making the same mistakes over and over again and expecting a different outcome. But I think what we need to do is is – you know, focus on what works. And it's not a mystery how the, the virus is transmitted. You know, it's, it's, it's transmitted by uh, airborne spread and by people breathing on each other. And there are a number of public health interventions that we can do to reduce transmission. We just have to be willing to do them. And we are hearing about things like, you know, double mask, or get a better mask. Uh, yeah. We're now learning about, you know, the move to reduce the quarantine time. I mean, yeah. what do you think about that? Well, you know, I, I think one of the issues that's coming up in healthcare is that we don't have enough healthcare workers, right? And healthcare workers are well vaccinated. If we have healthcare workers that are out sick for, for 10 days or 14 days and the hospitals are filling up, that creates potentially disastrous situation for patient care. So I think there's a lot of pressure on the hospitals to keep things staffed, and there's a lot of pressure on the healthcare workers to, to be available for patients and for patient care not a great situation. You know, we're just doing our best to meet the need. And the fact, though, that, uh, you know, we do have a large number of our population here vaccinated, that must count for something. Yeah, I think the vaccine rate is pretty good in Hawaii, but there's a lot of variability within that pretty good. If you look at the association between vaccination rate and mortality, and you look at multiple different countries, what you'll see is that you know once once a country hits 75 or 80 percent in its overall vaccination rate, the mortality is, is reliably a lot lower. But when you're when you're much below that, when you're in the mid 60s, for example, there's still a fair amount of variability in terms of how bad an epidemic can be. So you know you look at the United States overall, it's about 60 percent. Um, Hawaii overall is in the low 70s, which is better. Oahu is the best. Oahu, of course, has vaccine mandates. Um, but the neighboring islands aren't nearly as good. And I don't think that we have a sufficiently high level of vaccination uh, to protect us from having a, uh, a lot of stress on the hospitals. It would need to be considerably better than it is. And we would also need to be getting people third shots at a higher rate than we have. So I think it's at best a partial shield. And again, it's because, you know, we didn't do what we needed to do in terms of getting the really, really, really high levels of vaccination like you see in places that are 80 percent or better, Portugal, places like that. Well, so so what are you seeing then for the big island, just as far as the case counts and, and the state of the vaccination rate of the residents there? So I think our vaccination rate on the big island is relatively poor compared to the other islands. And we're now seeing a, an almost vertical increase in cases. It's almost certainly Omicron. And uh, we're, you know, we're running about a week or two behind Oahu. Um, but I, I expect that we're going to be seeing uh, significant stress. Now, Omic there is some data that Omicron may be more mild than some of the other variants, and, and that's a point that's been made repeatedly. If you look at the actual studies, the epidemiology studies on Omicron, um, you'll see, you know, depending on the study, anywhere from 40 to 70 percent less hospitalizations compared to the Delta wave. It's not entirely clear if this is some intrinsic property of the virus or if it's because the level of immunity within those communities is higher, having experienced previous waves of infection and having high vaccination rates in some of the countries. Um, but there does appear to be less risk of hospitalization with Omicron than with other variants. However, if you end up having two times or three times as many cases, you can still swamp your hospital. And, you know, for example, we're seeing a, a very sharp increase in hospitalizations um, in places that are experiencing big Omicron waves like London. And as you pointed out, we're now seeing a very big increase in hospitalizations here in Hawaii. One thing that's important for me to get across, and, and maybe I should just direct this at, at local leadership, is, is that doctors and nurses, you know, we're not here to clean up the mess for bad policy decisions. You know, we're, we're here to take care of, you know, your mom when she's had a heart attack or your uncle 
when he's had a stroke. In my work as an infectious disease doctor, you know, I help keep people alive as they're struggling through cancer or receiving chemotherapy. And I think it's just disrespectful to us when, when leadership talks about waiting for the hospitals to fill up. This is a lot of human wreckage that's resulting, and a lot of it's avoidable. So I would like to see us focus on reducing transmission and doing what we need to do to, to you know, sustain ourselves through the next few months. And do it now. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Dworkin. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for calling me. It was okay. a pleasure to talk. That was infectious disease doctor Jonathan Dworkin. Early on in the pandemic, he called our state response to the pandemic a disgrace with its resistance to the expansion of testing and contact tracing. He has written a book entitled Plague Doctors, How Hawaii Battled the Pandemic. Find it at Watermark Publishing. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa, offering the global MBA with 21-month, 24-month, and 36-month options. Scheidler.hawaii.edu. In the U.S., individual rights are sacrosanct. We tend to approach rights disputes as questions of who the Constitution prefers. Legal scholar Jamal Green calls that rightism, and he says it's pushing the country in the wrong direction. Those kinds of stakes cause people to dig in and move into their corners. So he says it's time to reduce the focus on individual rights. That's on the next On Point. Beginning this afternoon at 2. Support for HPR comes from the Queen's Health Systems, committed to the community's health, providing vaccinations that help to protect against COVID-19. Learn more by calling Queen's Vaccination Line at show host Bill Maher is returning to Oahu for his annual New Year's Eve event at the Neil Blaisdell Center. This year marks his 10th anniversary of performing in the islands, but it's been two years since he last had that opportunity. Last year's show was canceled due to the pandemic. HPR's Dave Lawrence caught up with Maher to find out what life's been like since he last stepped foot in Hawaii. Brother Bill, it's Brother Dave. Hey, how you doing? Good to have you back on the show, man. Does it does it sound all right? Can you hear me? Yeah, I got a high buzz. You have a high buzz? And also the call is not good. No. <laughs> uh, but yes. <laughs> uh, well, very good to have you back on the show, man. After all those years of yapping with you, it's like a leap year or something after the pandemic knocked us out for last time. Oh, I cannot tell you how happy I am to be back. And I'm, I'm not going to jinx it, really, by talking about it anymore, because I don't put it past them to cancel anything at any moment. Right. But uh, it's a few days out, and we're looking good, and we're all excited to go. And it's pouring rain here in L.A. today. So even more, I want to be saying aloha very soon. <laughs> and before we hear more about what's got to be an exciting show and all the celebs who just come and hang with you at it, we we got to cover the, the serious stuff. So last time you were on, we had a little special appearance by your favorite people in the world. I think one was Chico, if I'm not mistaken, talking about the dogs. Yeah. And we need a dog update. How are they? Well, uh, you know, whenever it rains, they're a little freaked out. <laughs> And uh, they sort of have a look on their face like, do we have to go to the bathroom outside today? And I have to insist that, yes, even when it rains, we go to the bathroom outside. Right, fellas? Yeah, they know I'm talking about them. Who's the other one besides Chico? Chula. Chula, right. Chula and Chico. Chico and Chula. 
Love it, love it. And uh, how were they and you affected by, I guess, the, anything with the pandemic, any dramatic or tense moments for the pooches or yourself that make a good story? Well, they story? loved it because, of course, I was home all the time. <laughs> a lot you of know, Whenever I got in the car to go to the office, they always give me that look like, you're going, you're never coming back. It's like, <laughs> no, I come back every day. Uh, but, uh, yeah, dogs love pandemics. It's just people <laughs> who uh, I hope most people don't love them. I don't know. I mean, some people... You know, people get used to anything. Right. It's like prison syndrome. So I worry about those people who got a little too used to social distancing and masking and all of it. Uh, now, I'm all for being a good citizen and doing everything we should to be safe, and I'm, I can guarantee that this is going to be a very safe show. Um, but, you know, eventually people do have to go back to living. I see the front page of the New York Times today Big story, Omicron is largely found to cause milder sickness. I think this is very important for people to know because they do freak out. And this is the pattern of all viruses, by the way. They keep mutating. That's always going to happen. And they mutate to something less virulent, not more. So, you know, if you're vaccinated, yes, you can still get things when you're vaccinated. I got vaccinated, and then I got the original, or maybe it was the Delta. I don't know. It was in the spring. But oh, was, you had COVID. Yeah, they made me miss two weeks of work. I didn't have any symptoms except I lost my smell for a couple of days. How'd you know you even had it? Because um, I tested. They test me every week. Oh, okay. So I tested positive, but it's about a month after I got the vaccine. And uh, at the time, this was last spring. You know, uh, people were like, "Wow, how could that happen?" Well, now we know it's very common for that right. to happen. The the good news is that. Yes, you can still get it if you're vaccinated. You just don't get that sick, and you certainly nobody, hardly anybody ever dies if they have the vaccine. So no, I had I had no symptoms except I lost my smell for a couple of days, and then one night I was in bed and I farted, and I went, "Oh, I'm back." Yeah. And did <laughs> did you uh, had you lost the the sense of smell after you already knew you had it? So but so, yeah. Okay. So no yeah, symptoms. I tested positive, and I was like, "What?" Wow. And then, you know, because of the rules, they made me miss two weeks of work, which bothered me because I had never missed a show in 28 years. Right. Um, What's the rules on the show show with this show, these shows on Maui and, uh, and in Honolulu? Are there any special precautions or are they going to be venues just filled to the max with people? Yeah, I, that's a good question. I'm not sure because I haven't been privy to that. All I know is that the state of Hawaii is among the safest states in the union. You can. This show was not going to happen for a while. Then it was. Uh, I'm sure it's whatever it is. I'm sure it's the the most stringent uh, uh, that it can be. I mean, this ain't Florida. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I know we all had to be, you know, show our vaccination cards and you know all that stuff so that people know we're cool going over there. And uh, and we are. And I, I, you know, again, I think this is great news that that they've now said this definitively. This new variant, less mild. I mean, the Spanish flu is still with us. It's just not like it was in 1918 <laughs> because it got over the years less and less dangerous. And that's what's happening with this one. And, you know, look, there's always going to be a variant. There's always going to be viruses. This is what you hope for, actually. This is actually such good news. It's the best we can do on planet Earth is that it gets less serious, and then it just becomes like the cold or a flu. Let's have it get less serious. Talking about things staying with us, uh, is Eddie Vedder, Sean Penn, like what's the lineup of folks staying here in Hawaii for these shows? Any cool like tip of the hand? You know, you can talk about who's on the bill, but I, I, you always bring a lot of your, your boys with you, your budsters. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I can't. I never will, will say because, you know, if, if, if they show up and they do stuff, uh, as my friends have done in the past, yep, yep. it's awesome. But I don't want to make it like we're we're promoting them. Right. It always has to be a surprise, and it's always you know I they just do it out of the love of the show and and friendship and all that kind of stuff. But you know I don't think there's any year when we haven't had surprise guests, and I hope that continues this year. You know there are always certain restrictions. Um, my friend Woody Harrelson. <laughs> That's <laughs> been in the show many years. Yeah, but yeah. He has some, uh, I, I don't know if his beliefs about uh, medicine are going to conform with his ability to <laughs> be show his head in the theater, but we'll see. Oh, he's not vaccinated? 
Uh, I'm not sure that that's exactly his point of view. And and when it comes to like the dogs, do they come on the trip, or the quarantine rules here prevent? No dog. They would they would freak out if I no no. They stay home with a babysitter. They're so spoiled. And uh, and on the note of the show, who else is performing besides your special guest that we're not going to? It's an amazing lineup. First of all, we have Nikki Glaser, who's probably the hottest comedian going and and on the circuit right now. Um, I'm sure people know her from her F-Boy Island show on HBO Max and the Comedy Central Roast, and she's just doing really great. And uh, my old friend Christopher Kidd-Reed from Kid and Play, nice. who I started doing, doing stand-up about 20 years ago, and he's a scream. So it's going to be like something for the whole family kind of show. <laughs> we dig it. Well, that's a, uh, so that's a nice I'm, one. I'm really looking forward to this lineup. Well, hey, do you have a, pe- a pencil or pen near you? Write down. Have you ever checked out local comedian Andy Bumatai? I'm writing it down. Andy Bumatai? Yeah, I'll spell it for you. Um, B-U-M-A-T-A-I. Boom, okay. Bumatai. And he's just really, really, really funny. And when you said family entertainment, it made me think of him because this guy can do bits that are just really, really hysterical, yet everybody can appreciate. He's been around for a long time. When you look him up online, you'll see he's not like a new face or anything. He's a you great. Know, that's a, actually a good idea. One year, I should actually just grab a local. I would. I highly recommend this cat. He's really, oh, really yeah. talented, and I've known him a while. And, and I bet when you see his stuff online, you'll. Uh, and with the internet, it's like a free press kit, right? You just look <laughs> look anybody up, and you'll see him. So. And I bet she's got a great following there. Yeah, no, he definitely does. He's a he's oh, a, le- a legendary. Well, that's a great idea. Legendary cat. Well, I'm giving you hugs, high fives, and you got to promise me one thing. You're gonna give Chico and Chula <laughs> big snuggles from Brother Dave. I will, Dave. I really appreciate the plug. And uh, I'll see you guys uh, when when you're here. Take care. Be safe. Thank you so much. Aloha, brother. That was comedian Bill Maher talking with HBR's Dave Lawrence. And for right now, Maher is scheduled to perform at the Maui Arts and Cultural Center December 30th and at the Blaisdell Center on December 31st, alongside special guests Nikki Glazer and Christopher Reed. And that winds it up for us. Tomorrow, we plan to hear from the state labor director as we close out 2021. Call or talk back line. Share your thoughts. Share your thoughts about the new year and your hopes and dreams for the future. Call 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow, won't you, for more of the conversation 